Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of 2023 of the Founder Hour podcast. And this podcast is brought to you by Outer. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials, and is the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. From teak chairs to fire pit tables, everything Outer makes has the look and feel of what you'd expect at a five-star resort for less than you'd pay at a big box store for something that won't last. Pat, and you know how much I love five-star resorts. Oh yeah, I do. And as you know, Pat and I spend a lot of time outdoors, and we love hanging out on our outer couches we're certain you'll love it too for a limited time get 10 percent off and free shipping at liveouter.com this is outer's best offer anywhere anywhere only available to the founder hour listeners get 10 percent off and free shipping at live o-u-t-e-r let me say that again for all you alphabet geeks live O-U-T-E-R dot com slash the founder hour. That's liveouter.com slash the founder hour. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get into the episode. Our guest today is Rich Barton. Rich is the founder and CEO of Zillow Group, where he leads the company's work to transform how people buy, sell, rent, and finance homes. Zillow is a real estate marketplace company that was founded in 2006 and has literally become a household name. Prior to Zillow, Rich also founded the online travel company and Microsoft spin-off Expedia and job search engine and courier community Glassdoor. Barton was also a venture partner at Benchmark and is on the board of directors of Netflix, Nextdoor, Artsy, and more. Let's dive into his story. Well, Rich, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. I know you're here in LA for a little bit, and you're originally or you're from Seattle. I live so, in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. How long? Although has that I live been? in the cloud now, it seems. Yeah, I know. Everybody keeps yeah. telling us Zillow's in the clouds. We're in the cloud, cloud HQ. But yeah, I move around a lot. But Seattle is my home base. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you're born in Connecticut, though, right? No, I was born. Oh. Boy, I've moved. So Wikipedia was wrong. Twenty-one times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my whole family's from Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Um, but I was born outside of Chicago. Yeah. I lived in Detroit in two different places. I went to high school in Connecticut, but I went to junior high school in Houston, Texas. Hmm. So anyway, my, my dad was the guy in the suit with the briefcase who got transferred. It's in the days when professional dads um, <laughs> would get transferred and they'd uproot yep. their families you know, I'm sure my mom was super thrilled with that. Um, pack up your family and yep. move because yep. that's progress up the corporate ladder. Anyway, so I moved around quite a bit, but I consider myself, my whole family lives in Michigan. Yeah. I know there's a lot. We're both Armenian. I know there's a lot of Armenians in Detroit. Did you know any? I, 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 I moved away when I was seven. Uh, <laughs> because but I do of the Armenians. That, you just no, want to not move because away. because of the Armenians. No, <laughs> no, no. But, uh. Yeah, you didn't you didn't find this in Wikipedia either. But yeah. fun fact, my first cousin is Gretchen Whitmer, the governor oh, of Michigan. Nice. Yeah. So I'm sure she's familiar with the Armenian community. I'm there. sure she is, yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of Armenians when they came from I think it must have been mostly Lebanon and Syria, they went to Detroit. I mean, it was either New York or Detroit. It was mostly East Coast. Nobody really came here. Yeah. So, and then a lot of Lebanese there, so you got a lot of the And what was the trade? You know, I don't know. They probably were like in some sort of manufacturing or, you know, whether it was like food 
based manufacturing or like vehicles, like a lot of them are engineers yep. and like very science math minded, yep. I would say. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of Armenians out there. Yep. One of the largest organizations, AGBU, I think was, uh, came out of there. The guy built the, um, like sink faucets, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, can't remember his Across name. People. Manukian. So yeah. yeah. Anyways. My great granddad was a bush, a German butcher. Okay. And moved to Detroit. Well, wow. Like immigrated. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so you've moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it set me up well for my future career at Zillow, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So you said 21 times. I mean, as a kid and even as you were growing up, how did that impact your social life, your mental health? I mean, at the time, you know, mental health wasn't talked about a lot, but, you know, thinking back or looking back, I'm sure it made some sort of impact. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I didn't know anything different. Uh, and it worked out just fine. My guess is it made me very adaptable and resilient and made me be able to under, to listen to people and to listen to social vibes, you know, better than, than most maybe yeah. it's got, probably built those muscles for me. Um, certainly taught me how to, you know, make friends quickly. Um, you know, I thought it was great. Honestly, I didn't know anything different. I have all these friends from all over now. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, it doesn't work for everybody Yeah, uh, clearly, but for me, it, it absolutely worked. Now I have my own family and I have three grown kids and they did not move around. And I think if they were here, they would say, thank goodness we didn't move around. <laughs> I mean, I would have right. to leave my friends and the school and it's all like that. like when you grow so. up with the same people from a young age, you have this like sense of community and it's like really hard to leave, especially once you get older. But yep. there's some, there's something special about someone like yourself who like has been in so many different types of communities. And so like, did, did you ever feel like you didn't sort of identify with like a certain type of group or people or you know, did you lack any community at all? Or did you feel like you kind of just fit in right away as soon as you kind of came to a new one? You know, I think uh, there are people of a type known as bridgers, okay? Um, and it's not the majority case people, but it's the people that uh, tend to be the ones that are chosen for diplomacy. They're the ones that reach out across groups and right. bring people together. And it, it's a really important role in, in society, the bridger. Um, for dispute settlement and for cooperation. And as I think back, or, uh, you know, on my different groups of friends in different places and the kinds of things they did, um, you couldn't pigeonhole me as just a nerd, though I was a nerd, or just a jock, though I was a jock, or, you know, student government, yearbook, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I was involved in all those things. Um, I played jazz trumpet as a kid. Um you know, I, I, I didn't fit a typical pro, profile and I found myself probably being of the Bridger type. Where do you think that came from? I mean, is that, I can't imagine that that's something people are necessarily born with. I mean, it's probably more so a result and product of your environment. Was anybody in your family that way or did you have any examples growing up of folks that kind of did it all? Well, I mean, I just said that my my cousin is the governor of Michigan, so she must be a bridger too. Yeah, it must yeah. Be, there must have been some kind of ethic in my family uh, around that, and 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 maybe some of that was uh, inborn as well. But I do think it's cultivatable, and I do think it's generally a positive for society um, if more of us could cultivate reaching out across the whatever divide and getting to know the other in a way that you could help communicate. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I've always been curious about other people in other cultures and other places. Um, I do think curiosity is a terrific trait for people to cultivate as well. And yeah. it's cultivatable. Mm -hmm. So having all these interests, did you, did you feel like you kind of knew what you wanted to do from a young age or not really like for your career? Um, no, not really. I mean, I knew I, I did have dreams of being an entrepreneur. I knew that kind of knew that pretty early. I was pretty independent. Um, I was a little bit resistant to authority and being told what to do. Okay. Not in any kind of antisocial way, but in yeah. a little tiny, you know. Don't good, tell me what to do. Good boy, rebellious <laughs> way, right? But why exactly. did you think entrepreneurship, like how did you, did you see folks that were entrepreneurs that you looked up to or um, like wanted to be like? My community was not full of entrepreneurs. It was more full of professionals and business people. Right. Um, you know, big, big company business people. Um, uh, so it was not full of entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, th I think I got a taste of it for early on with my own summer jobs. I didn't really like working as a busboy for somebody else. Um, I really liked kind of running my own business and having my own thing. And I started to do that pretty young. Um, what was that? I was, I mean, I did a lot of stuff like a lot of kids do. Maybe they don't anymore, like cut, you know, cut lawns and stuff like that. But then I, when I turned 16, I became the ice cream man. I can't believe they let me do this, but I, I drove around the ice cream truck. Oh, you had a truck. New Canaan and Dairy. At 16. That's like when you first get your license, right? I, I, mean, I can't <laughs> believe they did this, you yeah. know, blue sky bar. Uh, anyway, I was the ice cream man nice. uh, for one summer. That taught me a whole lot about being an entrepreneur and what I you know, I, I, I learned a ton about a physical business versus a digital business at that point. But anyway, that was a really formative experience for me, and I enjoyed it. Um, I then started a painting company. I painted houses with a group of guys, mm -hmm. made a bunch of money for college. Um, I was like that. I knew that. Um, I was tech. I was pretty geeky and techy, too, and I knew that really got me fired up, and that was just... I came of age right as the very first personal computers were mm -hmm. coming. Yeah. Did, um, you, did you, like, how old were you when you kind of first used one? TRS-80, a Radio Shack. Um, for R real. Radio Shack. R I'm kidding. For real. Like, that's a Radio Shack. Did, it, did it someone buy it recently? Yeah, I think. Did some, really? Yeah. Some guy bought the, like, the IP for it. And, I guarantee it's, and like, he's just some like, tech he's just, billionaire guy who's, like, oh, not, <laughs> super not, He's a wannabe tech billionaire. He's, uh, really? he's this guy that, like, he uses it for, like. Was it? He, 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 like, tweets stuff from the account that, like, Radio Shack would never tweet out and people would, like, go crazy about <laughs> so it. So he bought Radio Shack. <laughs> just to tweet it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, that um, was ended yeah. up being bought by a company called Tandy while I was still young. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, TRS-80, I had one with my buddies. I had a Commodore 64. Hmm. Um, then the Apple two uh came around i had that one got a my first mac in college anyway so yeah. I, I i definitely was into the video game console right. and personal computer thing even though they didn't do much at the time um i really found them fascinating so i knew i had that in me yeah so by the time i went to college i knew i wanted to be an engineer and this was computer go? engineering yeah i uh, i did i wasn't a computer engineer i was a uh, um, uh, industrial engineer uh, I went to Stanford mm. and going to Stanford, I went to high school in Connecticut and going to Stanford was part of my, you know, rebellion, go West, be a pioneer, <laughs> Yeah, you know, Silicon Valley wasn't yeah. really even known as that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but that whole vibe was happening out there. Mm. 
and uh, I was drawn to that. You know, from all these moves, I, I know we went a little, this is out of chronology a little bit. Where did you feel most like you? Hmm. Where, like, physically or where socially? Any of the above. I, mean, I have so much stuff I yeah. like. Well, why don't we do, table that uh, question until the end and yeah. I'll ask it again. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, seriously, playing a video game with my buddies, playing a pickup basketball game with my buddies, um, I guess doing stuff, creating stuff and doing stuff and competing with groups of people as a team. Mm-hmm. I love, I still love that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I really, really love that. And you guys do this together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's more fun to do it together For sure. than if you did it by yourself, right? It'd mm. be lonely. So many parallels with like business and entrepreneurship, too. Yeah. Um, but so, okay. So, like, you're in college studying industrial engineering, um, wanting in the back of your head, perhaps wanting to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, did you like feel like you had to eventually take a job and, and not start a business? Or did you like, were you like, I'm starting a business as soon as I graduate? Yeah, so I was uh, a practical entrepreneur, um, <laughs> and I'll correct the record a little bit. I, I, I didn't even get my industrial engineering degree. I got a general engine, a BS in general engineering colon industrial economics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was a self-designed engineering degree from Stanford. <laughs> and I did this because Stanford let me self-design, which is great because it's in California and yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Freedom, baby. Uh, uh, here we are. Yep. Do what you want. And, you know, Northern California, do whatever you want. For sure. I guess down here on Hollywood Boulevard, you can do whatever you want too right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're like the, the new Silicon Valley here. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Anyway, so, but I also was super interested in studying abroad. Yeah. And I loved literature and I loved art. And I wanted to go to Florence to study, and to do that, I got thrown off the hardcore accredited track mm. and onto kind of a self-designed track. So mm. that tells you a little bit about my my outlook. I sacrificed the accredited degree, knowing I really didn't care about the accredited degree, so that I could pursue other interests, um, and yet still was in in that milieu. But 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 back to your question. Um, yeah, I knew I wanted to start a company, but I also knew had enough sense, or my dad gave me enough sense to know that going to start a company with the relatively empty toolbox was probably not a very good right. bet that maybe I ought to put a few, right. few tools in there first mm-hmm. before I tried to build a house. And so that's how I thought about it. Rich, one thing that comes to mind or a question that comes to mind when I hear your story so far is, you know, you're interested in a lot of things. You've been to a lot of places. You've had a lot of experiences. Did you feel as though you were, all over the place and couldn't necessarily pick something to do early on. And I'm talking like this is during the college days. Cause I feel like Pat and I have had this experience where we enjoy a lot of things. We're interested in a lot of things. We're interested in a lot of people and hobbies and sports and this and that. And then you just get to the point that you're like, but what do I do with all that? Right? Like I, I enjoy so many things. I don't want to pigeonhole myself per se, but I know that I probably have to for a little bit to get to my desired place. Did you feel that way at all? I don't remember feeling about that that way explicitly. I do remember wanting to pursue a whole bunch of different things, though, and feeling that at a young age, at least, you know, maybe to what you were saying, it wasn't going to be that big a deal if I jumped around a bit. And I actually had a really good appreciation for the kinds of people that end up running stuff being Mm non-specialists. Yeah. 
okay, being generalists. generalists, okay? And so how do you study to be a generalist? How do you practice to be a generalist? You do a bunch of things, yeah. right? And so I didn't see that as a bug. I saw that as a feature. Mm-hmm. And I did jump around a lot. I did. Were you ever anxious? I feel like generalists deal with more anxiety because it's all, it's like this unknown sometimes, right? Most of the time where you're just like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm just going to try it out. But like, what if I fail? And like, I mean, there's like a whole thing of like perhaps fear of failure that you have to get over um, that I think the successful ones obviously do. Um, But I'm just curious for you. Anxious is an interesting word Um, because there's, there's negative anxiety Okay, the negative anxiousness is anxiety, but there's a positive anxiousness means mm-hmm. restlessness and, and ready for the future. Right. Can't wait for the future. Why it's slowing me down? I want to get going to the future. Right. I was always the latter. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the former. Mm-hmm. I had an abundance of, um, um, I had a very high self-regard mm-hmm. and confidence in my abilities, yep. probably to a painful extent when I was younger. Uh so, but I was always ready to go. I was ready to leave home to go to college. I was ready to leave college to go to work. I was, was ready to get married before, before others. I was ready to have kids before my wife was. I, 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 I love envisioning the future a little bit down the road, uh, and I'm anxious to get there. Does yeah. it ever cause disappointment, though, like that positive anxiety? Because I hear you, but at times the world doesn't hear you. And so external factors outside of what you control might not want you to get there yet. Right. Whether it is getting married, you know, you got it. Somebody else has got to want to marry you. Right. Well, you know, having kids, someone's going to have to not only agree to it, but there's some things that got to happen. Like, and I think internally there's a sense of like control. element of like perfectionism too, that a lot of people have where it's right. like, well, I don't know if this is going to be the right thing. And I don't want right. to like make a decision sooner than I, sure. you know, I don't know. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't remember that being a real negative. Yeah. I guess from a general perspective. Yeah. Um, have courage is what I'd say, you know? Um, I, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about leadership and I use the Wizard of Oz a lot, the kind of three Wizard of Oz characteristics. You know, the scarecrow was seeking brains, you know, the tin man was seeking a heart and the cowardly lion was seeking courage. You know, and they discover at the through that story, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen or read or heard the Wizard of Oz, but through the story that the the, the great and powerful wizard is just a, you know, it's a ghost. There is no real wizard. There is no man behind the curtain. And that all those things are within us. And it's just about finding those things. Hmm. And having those things in balance, I think, is a really important key to life. Um, drilling down on courage for a sec, which is my answer to your question, I would say... People, I think we're wired primarily to be more fearful than we should Mm. because historically as a species, fear was to keep us alive because our lives were on the line. Mm. You know, we were going to get eaten by the line or whatever. Whereas in most places, and certainly the places I've been in in modern Western society, Failure is not going to result in your being eaten. Right. right? And so mm-hmm. I, I really, I like to embolden people to be courageous. And I think when you are courageous and you have uh, an optimism about how things will turn out, you become adventurous and you go forth and seek. And it's okay to have, you know, to trip up along the way and, and stub your toe and, 
you know, it's okay to do, it's okay to have setbacks, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the rewards come when you adventure. I love that. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so when you graduated Stanford with this engineering, general engineering degree, did you? (laughs) What? <laughs> want to yeah. want to make sure we're not a specific yeah, I engineer. I want to be freaking canceled <laughs> yeah. because I had the wrong degree yeah. on my resume. All right. <laughs> um, what what comes next? What do you when do you what do you do? Uh, so I had done a bunch of things in summer jobs leading up to graduating, mostly making money like painting houses. Yep. The summer before, everybody like smart kids. The you know. Ambitious kids wanted to go into banking or consulting. Yep. You know, nothing's um, changed. Nothing's changed. Coming, coming back around again. Dot <laughs> yeah. com bus V two. Whatever yep. we're going yep. through it right now, yep. so we're back to banking. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I between junior and senior year, I was a intern investment banker in New York City. Rode the train, wore a suit, ran Lotus one two three on a personal computer, and learned that I didn't want to be an investment banker, even mm. though I did have a good time. I thought it might bring out the worst in my personality. Um, uh, and so right after college, for a brief period of time, I went into management consulting as a strategy consultant in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, learned pretty quickly that, that, that I, I learned a lot and have fun, but I learned pretty quickly that wasn't really my thing either. Mm-hmm. I got a good business education. <clears throat> but a good friend of mine from Stanford had been recruited by a small tech company, Microsoft, right mm-hmm. out of engineering school at Stanford and Nina and Nina started calling me as soon as she got to my, she didn't get the consulting job. She, right. she had to go to Microsoft yep. uh, and she started calling me and she's like, Richie, this is where you belong. Uh, and what so what would you compare Microsoft at the time to the company now? Like the level at it, that it was at? Yeah. 3000 people. So let's, yeah. let's, what's a, what's a, what's a known 3000 person company? I don't know. Pinterest. Oh. But in yeah. terms of like stage of like growth, were they pretty like popular at the time? Did, like people have the PCs yet? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 3000. But it was small. It was like early nineties, right? Early nineties. Yeah, 91. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, 90, yeah. 90, pretty, pretty deep into the, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. PCs, but not like what it is now. Right. I mean, yeah. Look, PCs are everywhere now, yeah. Yeah. including in this room. Um, you know, there weren't that many then, yeah. but Microsoft was MS DOS five was my first product. I was product manager, yep. And uh, so it was the fifth version of the operating system. Is that still like the blue screen with the text, or it, it was yeah, <laughs> literally it that? Depending okay. on the CRT, <laughs> the CRT you had, it depended yeah. the color. But a lot of a lot of them were black with orange and yep. black <laughs> with green. But anyway, yes, that was the command line interface. Uh-huh. The and, and were they like the market leader in the space at the time, or was Apple kind of? Um, I think we're far enough away from a from a really bruising Department of Justice um, antitrust yeah. investigation of Microsoft that I can say yes, it was the market leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, Microsoft was the far and away market leader, had yeah. the lion's yeah. share, in fact, of the market. Yeah. Um, it was a big successful product, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a pretty small company, you know, three, th- 3,000 people yeah. growing quickly. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Yeah. It's been public a couple of years, you know, Bill Gates was the youngest CEO ever to take a company public and became the wealthiest young person or one of the wealthiest people ever. Yep. And I looked back one time, I remember I looking back at the fortune cover he was on after Microsoft went public in, I don't know when it was 87, something like mm-hmm. that. 
and on paper he was worth 350 million dollars crazy and the whole of the of the, the business world couldn't believe yeah. how much money that was yeah. <laughs> now if you're that you're not even on that's, the forbes ten thousand. that's yeah. like a that's yeah. like a bad hour for you yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> crazy yeah. 350 million god forbid you failed <laughs> anyway uh uh so yeah it was a s- small exciting you know really smart people working their butts off lots of lots of geek macho lots of dudes Geeky dudes, you know. Um, no DEI back then. That's developers, for sure. developers, oh, yeah, developers, no, developers, developers. That, a lot, yeah. It was a lot of people <laughs> yeah. working all the time, and then eating in place and not bathing and playing video games in between coding, whatever. It was, you know, it was that yeah. kind of. Thing. Yeah. Um, Could have started a cologne brand. Just like, <laughs> it would have been. Must have been a fun time to be like in the office in those days. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I loved it. But I did learn a lot. You know, I did put a lot of tools in my toolbox, going back to my dad's my dad's thing. Um, what tools? I'm curious, because I think it's important for people to hear this part of the story, because I think a lot of folks know and think and believe that entrepreneurship is this, like, you know, amazing thing. And I mean, Pat and I have said this multiple times, you know, you sit down with enough founders and you learn really quickly that it's not the sexy thing it is, especially early on, and that you really do need to have resources whether it's the skills the money the market needs it right like there needs to be something there it's not just like i woke up today i want to be an entrepreneur i'm going to start a water bottle company and be successful like it it takes more than just that so if you don't mind just spending some time talking about what those tools were so the folks that are listening can maybe think about those things when they're heading out of college or going into college or transitioning jobs yeah you know or in your current jobs yeah. Like you can learn from your current jobs right now. Um, be they summer jobs or, or part-time jobs or you're early in your career out there and you're working for a big, you know, bigger medium-sized company. The tools I'm talking about are how to hire somebody, how to fire somebody, how to do a performance review. You know, how should we think about whether or not to invest in a new opportunity? You know? How should we decide what we have scarce resources that we've negotiated for? Now, how do we prioritize in order to cooperate to get something done? How do we uh, make sure that we're not all heads down in our own little details and we miss the forest for the trees? You know, how do we keep on the same page strategically? Do we go off site once a quarter? And go put ourselves in a completely new context and and try to back up to 50,000 feet and discuss things. You know, basically, it's uh, uh, how do you manufacture something? I, one of my first jobs at Bramus DOS, we, back then we had to manufacture floppy disks mm-hmm. and put documentation like yeah. books yep. in a box, shrink wrap the box with box art, yeah, put it, it in egghead software. Yeah. Like it was a product. Like <laughs> yeah. I had to go to Now it's plant. probably like, you know, $100,000 to buy one of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish I had. Rich owned one and I would, signed. No, seriously, wish I kept one. I have a t-shirt from those days, but I, I like did, I did the bomb, the bill of materials. Yeah. Like that was my thing. And I went to the plant. Anyway, those are all tools. Right. Okay. Um, the, but back to the ice cream truck, one of the tools I learned being the ice cream man was, uh, I had to pay for the inventory of the ice cream. I used my own money to fill the truck. I used my own money mm. to rent the truck. I had to front. I had to like finance this right. thing. Okay. 
And then all my money was tied up in inventory. Right. And I only had 10 weeks. Yep. All right. I had to manage my inventory such that I was negative, negative, negative for the first nine weeks. And in the 10th week, I made $1,800. Right. <laughs> By selling out my inventory. Oh, yep. <laughs> okay. And I was like, wow. I think I want to be in digital businesses that don't have giant cogs and I don't have to manage inventory. And, yep, yep. and it was a lesson I unlearned later in life yeah. to my chagrin. But but uh, m- almost everything I've done since that point has been digital. Yeah. So these are like really important just business, general business leadership skills. And you being someone that learned kind of on the job uh, versus I, I think I saw that you didn't get like a business degree in RMB yep. or anything like that. Yep. What are your thoughts? I mean, not having gone through a program like that, perhaps you, or your, you have friends or colleagues that did. Do you feel like these are things that you just have to learn out in the real world? or or, or No, think I think, could... I mean, I think you could easily learn about accounting, HR operations, et cetera, at in school, at school yeah. as well. And, and, you know, no doubt. There's a lot of ways to learn. Um, but you should always be learning. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at your audience now, not yeah. you guys. Yeah. Like, I think it's the willingness to the learn. Y'all should yeah. always be learning. Every experience you have is a learn a potential learning experience. And if you're curious and you have a growth mindset, you come out of every interaction smarter. Right. Uh, and I mean, I was a, yeah, I was a, still am part time, but a part time venture capitalist for a long time. I heard a lot of people pitching me their big idea, and I got to the point where I knew in the first five minutes. You know, if, if I was going to be interested in investing, and was that based on the who the person was versus the idea, or or both, or I mean, because at that early stage, it's I mean, it's, it's usually like who it's who the person is. It right? could have been any could have been any number of things, but mostly um, the person didn't have a realistic expectation of what the addressable market was, what the opportunity was, yep. what the product market fit was. Didn't have you know, enough experience. But, but what I was going to say was what I know in the first five minutes, I've got a one hour meeting. I'm not rude. You know, you know, I could look at the next 55 minutes as a learning experience for me, because you know what, that person may not win with this current idea, but this person does know something that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, what can I learn from that? And, and I guess, so, so, you know, that's broad based advice. So back to Microsoft, how long are you there? 1991 to 99. Wow, almost a decade. Yeah. And so Expedia, which, so Expedia was launched within Microsoft. That's right. Okay, so how did, how does that happen? You're, and this is something I want to talk about because it's this concept of entrepreneurship that I think is often overlooked. Love it. Um, because entrepreneurship, you know, everyone knows you go out there, start a Love business, it. but you could be working at a big company. Um, it could be 30 people to 3,000 people to 30,000 people. Um, but I think sometimes, and I want, I'm curious to hear your experience because it really matters w- who the company is, right? And if they're open to that and in, in terms of fostering entrepreneurs versus yeah. shutting ideas down. And so you obviously worked for you know, folks like Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer and, and folks like that that right. perhaps were more open to it. But just how, what was that experience like in terms of pitching it to them and where did the idea even come from? Yeah. Yeah, I might even generalize uh, uh, even more, Pat, and and say, don't confine your entrepreneurship to starting a business inside of a larger organization, mm. because the same kind of entrepreneurial thinking can and should be brought to the job you're doing right now. Mm. Guaranteed. Guaranteed you will be a better 
producer, a better individual contributor, a better team leader, a better general manager if you think like an entrepreneur. Hmm. I guarantee it. Um, what you're saying is some organizations are less receptive to progress and new ideas than others. Right. And, you know, shame on them. Right. Because if you're if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. Uh, if you're not innovating on behalf of your customers, you're losing. Uh, but when, so, but for, for, for folks who are in that environment, maybe they're like a product manager yep. or in marketing or in sales or something, but yep. they have this idea for the company yep. that they're in. How do how do they approach that? Yeah. How did you get in front of like get it in front of Bill Gates? I mean, I credit my, Microsoft. Yeah was still pretty small and had a pretty interesting product-oriented, engineering-oriented culture. Bill Gates uh, still did uh, what were called program reviews mm -hmm. of every product at the company um, every year. So we'd cycle through the boardroom and the product, a couple product managers, a couple developers, we'd go up in front of Bill and Steve maybe would be there and Nathan Mirvold maybe would be there and uh, present the product. You know, what's going on with the product? What are you, what are you doing to innovate? Uh, and it was in the context of one of those reviews that, that I was, I, I had the chance to pitch the idea for Expedia, for what became Expedia. And, and what was the original idea and why, how did it, how did you have the idea to do it within, like, what was the, its relationship to Microsoft, you know? Yeah. I'll try to keep it quick. Yeah. So <laughs> pre-internet, pre-web. Yep. All right. So most of your listeners out there probably don't even know what that world looked like, but there used to be a world where... There was no graphical web. There was no um, Safari. Yeah, like text on screen, right? Essentially, it's text on screen. There were these. There was a thing that was kind of a thing that mm. was a that was a pre-echo of the internet, and it was called the multimedia CD-ROM. Mm. <laughs> oh, like you put the CD in the thing. That's right. Got it. And a program yeah. opens up, and that's where you see the graphics. Yep. Um, Encarta was Wikipedia before Wikipedia. Oh yeah, I remember that. Encarta. It was a multimedia encyclopedia, pictures, yeah. music, yeah. words, yeah. all yeah. on the CD-ROM. Yeah. Static. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, That's right. This, this was pretty exciting. A lot <laughs> of creativity being unleashed. And we, those who, could, who were seers, who could see a little bit further, could see there were implications for everything from this. And so I had moved. I was getting ready to leave the company and start my own thing. And I had moved from the operating systems group to the consumer division, which is working on consumer products where the multimedia CD-ROM stuff was. And Carta was there. There were only a handful of products and not many people. Uh, and so I was given a portfolio of kind of ideas. And one of them was an Encarta for travel. So take every, there used to be these travel guides that people would buy, photos yeah. or yeah. let's go. What, was those, what were those maps called? Atlases? No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. There was triptychs. like triptychs. Triptychs. The driving ones? Yeah. Yeah, man. Triptychs. We triptychs, used to take yeah. driving trips. Yeah, yeah. From Michigan, yep. you drive yep, around. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, awesome stuff. Anyway, one of the ideas was to do a multimedia CD-ROM of travel guides. And that was in my portfolio. I went to present to Bill on this. And I said, I'd come from the systems group, so I was used to seeing really big revenue numbers. And at the time, the whole of the travel book industry, if you stepped on it hard, was maybe $100 million total revenues for the whole industry. Not very big. Yeah. Okay. And so what, am I going to build a multimedia version and get anything, any meaningful part of that? No, you can't even take it with you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even take the CD-ROM with you. So this wasn't going to be a big business. So I became very uninterested in it very quickly. However, there, were, there was this thing called CompuServe 
and a thing called AOL. These were online services. Yep. And I was a business traveler, and I had to do travel planning, and I had to. I became frustrated calling the corporate travel agent and listening to the clickety click of the computer with the travel agent, you know, trying to route me from Dallas to Chicago back to Seattle, and I was like, you know, why can't I jump through the phone, turn that bloody screen towards me and do it myself i know i can do it better anyway all these things came together at this review and uh uh i proposed i said i showed i showed bill this thing called easy saber which was a command line interface that travel agents working from home would use to service their customers and it was connected to CompuServe or aol it was a command line thing and it was really ugly and it was book your own flights. Hmm. And I was like, we could do a graphical version of this. We could rewrite the airline systems, which were all running on mainframes and do it on Windows NT. And and this is going to be a giant, it's going to be the biggest travel company in the world. And you should, it's not a Microsoft business. It's a, it's a travel business. Spin it out. We'll, we'll do it set. We'll do it outside of Microsoft. Yeah. You know, Microsoft can fund it. Right. And what does he say? He loved the idea. He's like, but you're crazy about this, the spin-out thing. He's like, who are you going to hire? How are you going to do it? What do you know about building a business? And I said, okay, you're right. And so we built a little team inside Microsoft. But, but he said, look, if it does make sense, if it, if it needs to be separate from Microsoft because it's running, it's running into conflicts, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an open mind. Yeah. Okay. So, and that mind was open. And that's how we ended up building Expedia at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And then we had... We got to a point where we needed $100 million to spend on marketing. And Steve Ballmer, my boss, didn't want to give me that. He said, we don't, we don't do that here. Sorry. Uh, and I said, well, the, it's 1999. Yeah. Okay, Microsoft 19- Ventures wasn't a thing. Back no, then. no, no, not a thing. <laughs> and 1999 was like, yeah, raw, raw, go, yeah. go, dot com, dot com yeah. you know, pets.com, yeah. 1999. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, and I said, we can do that. We can get $100 million from public investors. Mm. Um, why don't we spin this off? It'll, run, it'll be an HR experience. Because it was start out of Microsoft, you thought there's there's something there where if we took it public, invest like the public markets would. Foo.com could go public and get oh, and You're just okay? saying any, any yeah, dot com. Blob, yeah. you know, anything.com. <laughs> yeah. Could, could, because everything. Yeah. But at this point, it was, it was like the web was a thing, right? And like you could oh, yeah. actually, like Expedia.com was a thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Expedia.com was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not a big thing. We had a hundred and... 45 people on the team. Not yeah. a big thing, but a thing for sure. Yeah. The web was happening. Like it was clear the web and was And this happening. was 100% of your focus. 100% of my focus. I was running this team. And so Bill, you know, to his credit, like these guys were my venture capitalists. They were my entrepreneurial venture capitalists. And, you know, the CFO of Microsoft's a great guy named Greg Maffei, who is now the CEO of, of uh, all the Liberty companies, which own Liberty Media, Formula One, Ticketmaster, yep. all these things. Okay. Anyway, he's still on my board. Uh, at, Harvard guy, right? At Zill. Yep, yep. Awesome, awesome guy. Good, good close friend. He was the C- he was a young CFO at Microsoft, mm. and I went to him and I gave him. You know, I pitched him on the idea. He was pretty psyched about it. Mm. He was interested in the dot com thing that was happening outside mm. of Microsoft too. You know, people were making fortunes. Okay, yep. really interesting stuff was happening. Yep. And so we set it up. He helped me set it up as a carve out of the company. We took it public in November of 1999. Uh, I was 32 years old. And then what happens with the crash? Like, does it, I mean, obviously it survived, but like, what, what was that experience? It like? was a real business. Like Expedia was a real, unlike 
pets.com. Yeah. Okay. Or most. And, and by the way, there were 150 <laughs> that you don't even, don't even remember. Like you like, like figured out like revenue streams, like everything's good. Buying like airline tickets and reserving hotel yeah. rooms yeah. on the yeah. web was, is like, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's like better. it's not a fad that's going. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's no. not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's, you know, it's effectively infinite TAM. Like right. It's right. total addressable market. Yeah. It's like so big. Yeah. You, know, you don't yeah. need much share no. to get big. Uh, and, and you're so, just like a marketplace for it. We were, mar- we were, we were electronic travel agent. Yeah. We were, and we had, you know, first hundreds of thousands, then millions, then tens of millions of, of users and customers and they buy airline tickets. And so it was working. So when the crash happened in, oh, whatever. Late 99, early 2000? Or oh, was it? Yeah. God, I know this. Yeah. <laughs> Two, early 2000? Yeah. Did it blow up? think so. Yeah. February, March of 2000? How is it that I'm repressing that? I'm, I'm confusing it with- It's 22 the, years uh, ago. Y2K. With, with, no, with the- uh, 2008. With the Twin Towers. Oh, 2000, 2001. That's 2011. That's 2000, 2001. 2001. That, yeah. Well, that was pretty yeah. important right. to our business too. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But the bu- in the bust, like our stock had run way up and then crashed down with everybody else, but we made money. Yeah. Like it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, I should have tried to take the company private like myself at that point, but I wasn't smart and I wasn't yeah. experienced enough at the time. Um, but it was, it was a really nice feeling to have a real business and a real balance sheet and a real product and real customers right. when everybody else was getting flushed out to sea. Yeah. You know, like, you know, Warren Buffett likes to say, you don't find out who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And we luckily, we were one of those businesses. You know, I, I feel that same way now about Zillow. We'll get to that at some point, but mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, the tide's going out right now. And Zillow has $3 billion of cash and we make money. Yeah. And and it was we were not of that scale at Expedia at that time, but we made money. Mm-hmm. So we were going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we made, you know, we, we gained share. How long did you run Expedia? So uh, we started Expedia in 94. We started working on it. We shipped the first product in 96, went public in 99. And then in 2002, Barry Diller bought it, took it private. Mm-hmm. IEC, Interactive Corp, it was known at the time. It was known as Barry, Barry Diller, like a, he's like a media guy, right? He's a media guy. And, and, he, and he started an interactive company. Yeah. I guess Expedia, media, something. And, something no, there. no, he, he, he <laughs> made the move from traditional media to interactive media yeah. early. Yeah. He's a visionary guy. Yeah. Uh, and started buying companies. And he bought Expedia. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I moved out. Were you already in a position at that point where you had reached a level of financial success or not yet? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, did you feel like you had, like, what, like, did you have motivation to like, obviously you did, but like, (laughs) where did that come from? Why did you feel like you had to like keep going and start another company? Like, why not just cruise? Well, I took a year, I took a year off. Uh, I had three little kids. I had, I just had twins, my second and third kids. My wife was a OBGYN and it took me quitting before she would believe me that I was going to quit. Um, so, so I had to wait for her for six months to wind down all the babies and yeah. her patients had to have the babies. Uh, and then she took a sabbatical and we moved to Italy for a year. Wow. Oh, sweet. Back, yeah, we, back there for your art. Did you book it through Expedia? Or? We punched out, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. No, we kind of punched out. I had, a, I had other things I was doing at the time. I had been, I'd been on the board of Netflix since before, since it was private. Mm. So with, uh, with, I had a few uh, other, I had a few other boards. I was on the board of Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. I was on the board of 
Expedia. You're doing the board thing for a little while. I well, I, I still do. Uh, but <laughs> were you yeah, bored I, of being on boards at some point? No, I lo- I loved it. I thought it was super fun. <laughs> it was a great way to. I feel like you learn a lot. You yeah. learn a ton. Yeah, you see so many so many. Yeah, things. So, sure. it was great. So I I had work things I was doing. So that was like the Mark Randolph era. Yeah. Or uh, was he already Mark, done? Mark left pretty early. Yeah, yeah. Mark, I came in about six months before Netflix went public. So mm-hmm. I can't really tell you the year. Maybe it was two thousand one. Yeah, and yeah, Mark had there. recently left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, I had things I was doing, but uh, we went to Italy for a year. We spoke Italian. We drank wine. We, <laughs> you know, we went to art class. Did you get bored of that? I had a li- I had life mm-hmm. art. My my wife still hangs it up, you know? I mean, isn't one year of travel just like (laughs) exhausting on its own? Like, especially with three young kids. We loved it. We were young. (laughs) Yeah, we were young like you guys. We had a lot. Yeah, we had a lot of energy. Uh, No, we loved it. We loved learning new things. I took up uh, road biking. I was looking for my inner artist, my inner poet, my inner writer, my inner whatever, teacher. I I did some teaching. Um. But hey, I didn't find it. I didn't find my new thing. Yeah. And I, I, I found myself fantasizing about the next one. Starting another company. Yeah. How old were you? Um, 35. 34, you, 34. Did you ever think that you'd reach a level of success that early on? Um, and I mean, if it's an arrogant response, you're more than welcome to give it. Uh, <laughs> I'd prefer it. I mean, look, I was always a big dreamer and I, I had a lot of self, uh, self-confidence. Um, you know, probably not. I'd, I'd reached a level of success financially that I didn't even know existed, really. Yeah. The way I was raised. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know it existed. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it. Did you care? Um, I, 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 you know, I cared to the extent that of, of, of what it enabled me and my family to, to do and the freedom, yeah. the freedom it gave us and the security it gave us. And, you know, I was, I'm a very, I'm an over, overall, I'm a pretty grateful guy and I'm appreciative. And I definitely appreciated that the, you know, the removal of having to worry about a lot of, you know, stuff that people have to worry about every day. And that that's the source of a lot of, relationship strife and what mm-hmm, have you mm-hmm. you know just didn't have to worry about now truthfully people who do well young will oftentimes end up losing it yeah okay right. and uh, that w- wasn't going to happen with me and I, I i guess i would credit that to a pretty rigorous and disciplined financial literacy that my that my dad put me you know education that my dad put me through which is something that's kind of sorely lacking in our education system oh, quite yeah. honestly yeah it's kind of just basic the fundies the fundamentals of you know financial literacy and and what assets are what return is what debt is what credit cards are what paying bills are, you know what a mortgage is you know basically how to build and retain wealth mm-hmm. or just how to invest i mean you I'll don't invest. really learn that in like grade school you don't like you have to have a parent that gets you into it. They yeah. they don't teach it, which is crazy. And it's one of the reasons the whole crypto thing got so out of control as all these manias do right. is that there was just a lack of understanding of the lack of risk fun, foundational, anything foundational to yeah. support this, this, uh, this giant castle. Right. Yeah. 
Um, whereas stocks, like just as fun, yeah. <laughs> but you know, mostly there's a foundation, <laughs> right? Um, but my, I, you know, I really credit my dad and my granddad before him for. Well, I can remember they subscribed to Value Line. You guys don't even know what Value Line is, but it was a, a monthly newsletter that was published by a company that I still think is around Value Line that basically valued companies, you know. And explained their logic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it came out, and I, you know, it's like Morningstar, maybe. Today. Right. I don't know if you know. And that. you would try to yeah. see, like, if the if the if it's trading at what it's what why, they're and saying. Why? Yeah. And, yeah. What's and, a PE ratio? Yeah. yeah why? Yeah. You know. Uh, and I was in, interested in that stuff, and I had a little. I'd made a little money because I was a youthful entrepreneur and wanted to invest. My dad encouraged me to invest, and he helped use he helped me pick stocks. Mm-hmm. And picking stocks, you learn about companies. Yeah. And when you learn about companies, you care about companies. You understand how companies are fundamental to society as well instead mm-hmm. of what we have today right. where people keep getting further and further away from companies. Mm-hmm. And the further they get away from companies that, that, that are the really the, the – the, we fund – companies fund society, right? The further Main Street gets from Wall Street, the more division and, right. and tension we have, honestly. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I, I do see financial literacy as a, you know – an important element to civil society. Hmm. So you come back from this sabbatical in Italy, you're, you know, you're plenty of wine in the system. You're, you know, beautiful Italian son. You're (laughs) chilling, stress-free, haven't figured out your inner artist. So you're like, okay, time to start another company. What happens? Like, what's the next step? So, yeah, I think the amazing thing uh, with working at Microsoft and having moved around a lot as a kid and, and having been a bridger and somebody who enjoyed people and enjoyed my network, you know, the group of people that I, that I had, have had with me and around me along the way, my teammates, um, you know, that doesn't end. It just kind of, it keeps, it keeps continuing it keeps continuing to this day. And, you know, there is a lesson out there for those of you who are listening, like these Build real networks. Don't build light networks. Digital networks are not real networks. Build real networks and realize that the people you're working with and that you're going to school with and the people around you, you know, could very likely be the people you work with down the road on something else. Were you like how intentional were you about who you surrounded yourself with? And like what were you looking what kind of qualities would you look for? Or do you think you I'm, just attracted certain types of people? Maybe. I, we were trying to do something huge, always. Yeah. We were trying to like become the largest seller of travel in the world when we were building Expedia. At Microsoft, we were really on this digital right. messianic mission. I mean, it was really c- quite exciting. It's hard to imagine what Microsoft was like at that time. There just weren't that many tech companies. Yeah. <laughs> right? So all of the excitement and energy that is spread across 100 companies right now was concentrated into two or three yep. back then. So it was really quite a stimulating uh, environment. And so coming back from a sabbatical, it was very easy to, you know, the brainstorming on what to do next had already started. Mm. And who okay. were, the, were there, like a group of people? Yeah. Yeah, and it was actually a group of people that were that we'd done Expedia with, mm-hmm. and that I, I'd been at Microsoft with, and multiple companies spun out of that. Not just Zillow came out of that uh, with my my co-founder there, Lloyd Frank, and I had actually gone to Stanford together. We at Microsoft together. We did Expedia. Um, uh, uh, he was one of them. But a couple of years later, I started. I co-founded Glassdoor with a guy mm-hmm. named Bob Homan. Mm-hmm. 
who was one of the first engineers we hired onto the Expedia team. Right. And he actually went to Stanford too, just a little younger than, than I. He was an en- he was a computer science. Uh, so you're like kind of like, let me get some folks together and like in like a think tank fashion and just like bounce around ideas and see what's what and then who wants to handle what. And that's kind of, you know, well, I don't know if you were self-funding it, if you were having to like go out and raise money, but was that kind of what it was? The Expedia Mafia. <laughs> we, 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 it was Is there a term for you guys? Diaspora. I like. I prefer <laughs> diaspora to mafia. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not more make positive any, yeah, I have yeah, no yeah. idea if there's an Armenian mafia, yeah. so I won't no, make any jokes. I think there is. But like, yeah. I'm sure there yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a mafia. Yeah, there's always a mafia. Uh, yeah, mafia is a little bit negative and implies <laughs> badness. I, diaspora. Right. Like, Expedia we did, diaspora. We did, we did, we did scatter and do, 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 did all kinds of co- really cool things and I I was also toying with becoming a full-time venture capitalist mm-hmm. as well and moving down to Silicon Valley. Sand Hill Road. Yep. I, I looked at doing that. I was a, I was a venture partner at Benchmark for 16 years, uh, and that was kind of my part-time solution to being a general partner. Um, and it was fun. I loved I really loved doing that. But, um, but no, it is kind of getting together at a whiteboard, maybe with a beer, you know, and kicking stuff around and funding stuff ourselves. Um, Lloyd and I shared an office for a while that was, we sublet from his dad who had a stock brokerage in Seattle. And we just started playing around with ideas. Mm. Literally. One of the, one of the first ideas we had was, it was what would have been Dropbox. Um, Wait, are, sorry, are you like, you're like at the board and you're just like, okay, go throw out ideas. What do you have in your yeah, head? Well, what, just what, like, yeah. What big things are going on? Yeah. And what problems like, you know, all of the stuff I've been involved with were products that are born of frustration, born of opportunity, you know, oppor- yeah. observed opportunity in the deficiencies and defects in the world. So you were us. of the mind state at the time that I want to start another company. I don't know what yet, but yeah. we're just going to bounce around ideas and see what comes. So so the, the initial thought process was, I just want to start another company, but I don't know what yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not like you saw like this really frustrating gap or, or pain point or something w- within like the real estate market where you're like, oh, someone needs to build this. It was more like, I want to start a company. And then the idea came to you. Well, we were in a situation where we were brainstorming ideas. And, you know, our first, I- the, the first idea that I remember on, on in this particular, you know, incubator phase uh, was a Dropbox-like thing. Yeah. And so we were researching. Lloyd was off calling like Dell. What can, what can I get servers for? And what's it going to cost to store these things? And you know, trying to build a business plan about cloud storage of stuff. Obvious trend. Mm-hmm. We all needed that. We we, we definitely needed it. Um, and we probably spent three weeks on that and decided it wasn't a good idea, or at least not for us, because it was going to be a race to the bottom, and that Microsoft and Google and Apple would probably give it all away for free eventually. And you know, it's sort of what's happened. Um, uh, but we were, we literally were shopping for houses at the time because we were both, you know, families growing and I was moving back from Italy and that we were doing that on the side. And that's when we, you know, had the pain. What was out there at the time? Not much on the web. No, really? No. 2005? Four or five? 2005? Not much. Brokerages had websites where they didn't show addresses. Yeah. They didn't show prices. Maybe they showed a picture or two. How can you sell a house without putting an address or a price? So so at the time, it felt like a pretty archaic... Couldn't believe it. ...space, yeah. 
couldn't believe how opaque. Yeah. This is 10 years into the web. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we, we still have an opaque. I would think that would be there we before still have books, an opaque vertical. books would, right? Like <laughs> yeah. on the web. It's, it was, in fact, I wrote <laughs> well, a, I wrote a plan. Yeah. I, I wrote a plan, even back at Microsoft when we started uh, Expedia, Lloyd and I were part of a team at Microsoft that was thinking about how the web was going to change industries. Mm-hmm. And we ticked through all of these kind of vertical, let's call them classified, newspaper classified ad categories, and and, 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 mm-hmm. and realized that all these newspaper classified categories were going to get busted up and disrupted by transparency, yeah, digital marketplaces. And we wrote a plan for an electronic um, uh, real estate marketplace you, back then. You know, it's interesting. This is like phenomenon. I don't know what it's called, and I would like to know. Maybe we, have, we maybe we can coin a term today, uh, or there's a word for it. I don't know, but like. Whenever you look back into like these very novel, innovative companies or ideas that come about, it's usually a function of like this like step by step thing that needs to happen. Like it, it's this like convergence of like these powers that eventually lead to that. And all of a sudden you see like one, two, three, four, five competitors come out at the same time ish. Yeah. And, and they're not necessarily copying each other because they've probably been working on this idea for like years before, at least months before. Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but was this something like that? I think where so. It was like something needed to happen. Yeah. The internet needed to be able to fully, I don't know, have the bandwidth for this. I don't know what it was, but like, what was, what was it? You know, these opaque marketplaces uh, can take a while. It can take a while to turn on the lights. Okay. And the dynamics of how long the lights can be off um, have a lot to do with historical industry structures, regulation, licensing, whatever. How big it is, how local it is, how fragmented it is. And real estate is just one of those, real estate and mortgages is one of those things that's just pretty local, pretty fragmented, pretty complex, lots of, lots of local interests. And lots at stake for consumers, right? And so it was one of those industries that was particularly resistant and strong in the face of the coming of the digital revolution. And so it just took a while. Hmm. It's still taking a while. Yeah, what honestly. was the hardest part about getting it up and running? Um, like red tape? Was it inventory? Like, I mean, getting we didn't. I mean, when we launched, uh, when we launched Zillow. 1.0 zillow.com 1.0 in 2006 um we didn't even have listings yeah we didn't have for sale listings all we had we had we had gone and licensed a database of most of the homes in the country um and we tried to collect as much historical transaction data as we could in order to come up with a estimate yep and and we and there are maybe a hundred million homes in the country. We had maybe thirty-two million of them with this <laughs> estimate on it, and that's all we had. The hardest thing was just assembling the team, building the product, keeping it quiet. We knew we had a tiger by the tail, mm. um, uh, and so it was a race. Once we once we thought of these estimates, once we once we discovered this estimate in the pro, in a difficult process of brainstorming, um, we knew we were onto something big, and we went as fast as we could. Uh, How did you know though? Was it, did you, I mean, without having put it out there to see like people using it without having any listings, how did you know something that was going to work? You just had like this really strong inclination. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you probably have this, you you know, 
when something's going to work, when something's going well, you can, it, it's hard to describe the feeling. Yeah. Most people have a pretty strong intuition. But like you could also like, have oh, a yeah. strong, I don't want to throw him under the bus, yeah. but like Jeffrey Katzenberg with Quibi had a very strong inclination that it was going to work. Otherwise he wouldn't have invested, you know, billions of dollars into it. But like sometimes it just doesn't, right? And like, how do you gauge that? It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, not everybody's able to, 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 to you know, J Jeffrey's a genius in telling what's going to work in a different context, right? right? Uh, you know, uh, and you can't, argue with that guy's track record right but there was nobody that you know i would consider a peer in the venture world that that heard more than three sentences of that idea and didn't already know it was going to fail yeah. yeah right like including you guys probably yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean yeah you just gotta believe it sure right yeah. but you're like oh well that doesn't make any sense no yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know don't, don't, I don't think it's too, ever don't gonna invest too much don't invest too much in that like yeah. make sure you got product market fit yeah but i guess people yeah. knowing the yeah. estimate of their home value yeah, bringing real estate i was online. like yeah that's, that's cool. who's not yeah. gonna want to see that yeah. right yeah it has all kinds of yeah. kind of porn appeal as well yeah. as practicality appeal. right but right. sometimes they say like when you tell people an idea and everyone says it's a great idea you should be like a little wary about like if it's actually a good idea or not do you believe that or not really like you think good ideas make sense from the get-go and people really understand it no i th i mean i think it c cases vary yeah i think most entrepreneurial experiences the entrepreneurs are met with a chorus of you know that's not going to work from yep. the day-to-day -day people around yeah them, from their parents <laughs> yep. who are conflicted okay from their brothers who are conflicted mm -hmm. you know uh from their classmates who are conflicted anyway it's it's yeah. it's it's a uh, yeah, you don't get a ton of 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 entrepreneurs have to punch through a lot of headwinds. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it is. It is. It is definitely hard. But when you have a product, like, a, or a feature, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Rich, obviously, Zillow's been around now for sixteen, seventeen years. Um, it's a household name. Um, I, I can't imagine any like. 25 plus year olds who doesn't have you know the app on their phone like even if you're <laughs> not in the market to buy stuff you know you'll you'll have some sort of interest in what's going on around you um have you been there the entire time did you leave come back what was has, what's your experience been like yeah I've, i i have been there the entire time in some role um I, I i reluctantly agreed to be ceo initially i was i was ready to to you know, we, we haven't chatted about Glassdoor, but I started yeah. Glassdoor as well and was the chairman there and I was the venture capitalist. I had a, my hands in a lot of things and was very interested oh, in Oh, so you're building both kind of at the same time. time. Yeah, yeah, same time. And so I very much enjoyed doing, uh, not as extreme as, say, Kevin Ryan, who I had, yeah. who was yeah. a friend of mine who you guys had on. Yep. Uh, I, I listened to him. He yeah, was very next level. Yeah, he was very deliberate and yeah. mechanized. Oh, big he time. is yeah. in his in his serialization and incubation yeah. of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I wasn't that way. I was more of a Jack Dorsey in, type, maybe. In, in, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> man, not that bad. Not that, not that woo -woo. <laughs> I, I, mean, I just I, I loved building stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so I uh, I was a reluctant uh, startup CEO for for Zillow, um, but ended up the first six years. Of it, I was officially CEO, though I did do a whole bunch of other things, and I had a great team of people, including Spencer, who I know was on your yep. your show, who who uh, uh, you know was running, doing a lot of the operations stuff, um, which was which was great. Um, and then we were getting ready to go public, and 
I didn't want to have to be the public company CEO and explain all of the other stuff I did and why and and go through the headache, quite honestly. Um, I'd done that, uh, and Spencer was definitely ready. And so uh, we promoted Spencer to be C- the Go Public CEO, and I, I didn't leave. I became executive chairman. Mm-hmm. You know, my office didn't move. Um, uh, and so I moved upstairs for... Oh, six or seven years, uh, and then Spencer was ready to do something else. And I and I and I we we're at an interesting phase of the company where we're moving to going from kind of just helping people dream and shop for homes and apartments to actually transacting and making the transaction easier. And it was a big it was a big new play that mm-hmm. could require more of a startup oriented person. Yeah. So I came back to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's where I am now. So I know that the last few years, I mean, you guys launch programs all the time. I used to work in residential real estate at one point and, you know, obviously, you know, you can't run a residential real estate company without Zillow. Like, I mean, it becomes, it is your marketing, frankly. I don't care what ads you run and what other platforms you're on. If you're not on Zillow and maybe even your competitor, Redfin, like there's probably not a high chance you're selling that house, maybe, especially in this current market that we're in. Um, you guys had launched Zillow. Was it called Zillow Offers or where you guys started buying the homes? Where did that idea come from? And obviously I know what have, what has happened since then, but how did that idea as a learning opportunity from a leader, what was kind of take us through that, uh, project, that phase and, you know, what what Posh is talking about is what's called I buying, I buying, which was kind of a, a fancy new term for a, a, a pretty, um, ancient practice of making cash offers on people's houses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We buy uglyhouses.com. Um, mm-hmm. Billboards has been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen that. <laughs> you know, not the best reputation of industries um, from a kind of predation perspective and, and, and what have you, but it wasn't also professionalized. And yeah. so uh, a company called Open Door, Eric Wu, mm-hmm. uh, they, basically started that company and funded it to go after professionalizing and mechanizing that. Yep. And it was interesting, you know, and it started growing and gaining traction and clearly had good customer adoption. You know, it's pretty, it's a pretty, when you offer somebody a bag of cash for their house, you know, it's a pretty good product. Um, and so we watched it for a while and, you know, decided that if that got big enough, it could end up taking over the, the whole of the market. Um, the big question was, can it be done in a way that is not too risky? And so... Meaning like financially risky. Yeah, because you have to buy the, you have to hold, buy the houses, right. rehab them, hold them right. for a while and sell them. Yeah, your money's stuck there. Your money's stuck there in a, in a, in a non-static market. Right. Uh, in a, in a free money, low interest rate, prices don't move that much, only move one direction kind of market. The, the, the business plan could make sense for us. Um, and so we started playing around with it and, um, started growing it and then COVID happened. Right. Okay. And it didn't take too long before we realized that a lot of the basic risk assumptions we were making about what prices can do plausibly were wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore we had to recalculate the spreadsheet. And if you've been in real estate, I'm sure you've done a little 
mm-hmm. hustling and flipping on, on your mm-hmm. uh, yourself. And, you know, you got to have a big buffer when time, if you're going to do that, you got to have a really big buffer and cheap money. Um, and so we made a controversial decision to exit that business in a pretty sudden way. Right. And that's what I was more curious about yeah. was really the decision-making as a CEO, leader, yeah. founder, what, what kind of, what went through your head? Cause that's really what, I mean, not that I don't care about the actual project, but from a mindset perspective, Think, How do you make it? I think like this is an interesting topic because it could it could be applied to a lot of things, like right. including starting a company and having to shut right. it down when something's not working. Yep. Yep. And it's like sometimes it's clear, like it's not working. Let's, st- right. let's stop the bleeding. Let's yep. pay back our investors if we can, yep. whatever. And sometimes it, you just don't know. And how Maybe do you Sam assess Bankman that? Free should be listening yeah, to this. Story, that's a different story, but how would <laughs> he you probably is. Yeah, he probably is. He probably is going to come on. Yeah, we should do like we should do some like partnership with like the jail system, like nationally to like play our podcast. I mean, talk about like a good opportunity. I don't think anybody's tapped into that. Um, yeah, I mean, it takes courage to take big swings to get into things and to start companies to start your entrepreneur thing inside of a company you're mm-hmm. you're taking a career risk when you're doing that um it takes a lot of courage to get into things it takes a lot of courage to get out of them mm-hmm. it takes a lot of courage to stop them and it is really important when you're building your business whether you're inside a company or on your own it's really important that you're able to pretty quickly cease and desist doing the things that are not working yep. um you know it's the it's one of the hardest um, leadership challenges, I would say, and should be cultivated right. um, and celebrated. Yep. Okay. And celebrated. Bezos yep. said something pretty awesome. They had a pretty spectacular failure with the Kindle Fire phone. Mm-hmm. Right. And most recently, Alexa, right? I Alexa, I don't, a... I, th- I think Alexa's going to be fine. I think they yeah. just, I think they just laid some people off. Uh, yeah. my guess. Yeah. There's like, I read it was like hundred million of those devices, leading but money. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure they. Yeah. you know, the, it's these moonshot things sometimes where, like, you know, you you, you take a risk, right? And like, it doesn't take work a out. risk, doesn't work. You know, celebrate the failure. But Bezos with the Fire Phone, he said some analysts confronted him, you know, trying to gotcha on how bad you did on how you know how what a big failure you are on a, on one of his quarterly conference calls. That was such a big failure, and Bezos laughed and he said, "Ha ha." Well, we, we're going to have much bigger failures than that in the future. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, but I mean, the, like, really, it's, you know, ce- celebrating right. failures is okay. Now, you know, m- making it so you have more failures than success right. is not so, not so good. But, but uh, it is an, it's, it's an important part about it. It's, it ties back to my courage comment. It, it almost feels like if you're someone who is, is, is building, you know, trying to build the next great business, or it's like almost inevitable that these things are going to happen. Because you're taking big swings, like you said, yeah. and it almost sounds, it feels like the ones who are able to respond to it the best and come out of it the best are like the. It's like that. That's kind of the differentiator between a good leader and a bad leader, perhaps. Yeah, um, like the ones that are remembered and celebrated, and versus the ones that are remembered for. I mean, I think it's failing, just kind of. you can either handle it and you are a leader, or you can't and you're not. Yeah, basically. Um, but, but, you know, I, w- I would coach everybody, even on a micro-decision basis, this is true. Like, we're taking risks all the time. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're making bets all the time. We're taking swings all the time. And, you know, having the courage in your personal lives to decide what's not working and shedding yourself of those, you know, bad things 
you know, that's, that's really important to just mm -hmm. clearing out the cruft and being sane, yeah. you know? So, you know, keep things as streamlined as you can and simple as you can uh, with people you trust and you can count on to deliver you know anyway so so that that i knew i was going to get torched for that now i'm a person at a point in my career uh that i could handle the flame throwing i got you know standing yeah. up in public and on cnbc and having to try to explain that everything i i'd said for the last you know year and a half i was just doing an about face um and it was pretty brutal honestly and Leading an organization through change is really hard. Employees were the ones I was worried most about. And they were like, what do you mean? You just told me this story and this dream and I believed it. And now yeah. you're telling me something different. And, I, you know, I had to patiently explain it involved layoffs. Like it was, right. is, is, uh, is a big deal. But, you know, we did it for good reason. Our core business was strong. We reopened our eyes to a much broader market because it turns out this thing is only going to serve a pretty narrow part of the market and we refocused on the larger market and then of course um you know interest rates have doubled or tripled <laughs> you know uh and uh the housing market is you know um, you know in not in a very healthy way right now mm -hmm. and I'm really, really glad that we're not carrying billions of dollars a bag of, of homes on, right. on our yeah. balance sheet. Not right to now. mention having yeah. kind of moved your HQ to the cloud and, yep. and being like fully distributed now. Okay. How has it been culturally, like in terms of maintaining kind of the keeping the morale high and just like maintaining this excitement throughout been, the company? It's been good. I think Cloud HQ is working really well. Yeah. yeah. We never fooled around with the you got to come back and the don't come back and the come back and then people say, I don't want to come back. We didn't do any of that. We yeah. just went straight to Cloud HQ. Yeah. Um, We're permanently allowing people to work from anywhere. Actually, no, you got to come back. <laughs> okay. So yeah, like some companies. Yeah. <laughs> they anyway. said that, right? It was like permanent and then yeah, like it wasn't. Of, <laughs> I feel like they had to say that. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they didn't, but sure. <laughs> they thought they had to say that. <laughs> I mean, leadership is about being as steady as you possibly can and jerking people around and not letting them plan their lives, in a, certainly at a time when there was great uncertainty. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, glad, I'm very glad the way we, we played that. I believe we're way more productive, way more diverse. We have, we're definitionally more diverse. People are everywhere now. Uh, and it shows the diversity shows up in our diversity numbers too, which is awesome because we build better products when we're more diverse and our customers are really diverse. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited what it's done, what it is doing to the company. Um, the people who consider what we're doing as remote work, I have issue with, I don't like the word remote. Mm -hmm. It's more flexible. People can can decide where they live and how they live. But it, in Cloud HQ, we also get together and you got to get together. And it's when you get together that you can do a lot of the soft bonding mm -hmm. stuff that's, that's, um, that is fundamental to a culture. It's, at Zillow, it's worked really well for us. I mean, job applications are way up, you know, um, because there, it turns out there are a lot of really talented people who don't want to move from Detroit to Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Much as we love Seattle and you can't, why would you want to live in Detroit? Like, I know my family lives in Detroit, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I love Detroit and you know, uh, that's where I want to live. And so now we can actually hire yeah. people in Detroit and right. guess what? They're awesome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, aside from like the, just the real estate market, um, as someone who has been an investor, I'm not sure if you're still kind of actively investing, but what are you kind of most excited of seeing happen in the next, I don't know, call it five to 10 years in terms of perhaps new technologies coming to fruition or just like in industries being disrupted? Is there anything that you're like really, really excited about? 
Yeah, I mean, when I came back to be full-time CEO, I dropped a lot of the other things that I, I did, including venture capital stuff, um, uh, though I still am on a couple boards, um, outside boards. Um, and I do have general curiosity. Uh, I think the the ecotech stuff is pretty getting pretty interesting. There was something, there was a discovery announced this morning. I don't know if you guys saw it or this afternoon. Are you talking about Q, like... Q greater than one. It's... Oh. it's uh, uh, Fission, nuclear fission is a very oh, yeah. dirty process. Yeah. Nuclear right. fusion is a clean process. That's, that's right. right. That's right. mashing atoms together and getting energy. Which we out. desperately need something there. Well, yeah. there's been this like kind of perpetual motion machine fantasy by engineers for quite some time that if we can get the fission thing right, we can produce infinite energy. We can get more energy out of the system than we put into it. Right. That happened. That just happened. Mm. Now, not in any scalable way. Right. But, but it will get there. Yeah. But it's the start we, of something. We will get yeah. there. And and so... Weren't we talking about this like a couple nights we were, ago? Or yeah. Like, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Two nights ago. I mean, yeah. yeah, like energy being the next Power big energy. thing. Yeah. Like it has to be. This is it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the whole globe is going to yeah. be replatformed on electricity. Yeah. Okay. And ultimately, you know, probably not when I'm alive, but you guys may see a lot of it. Like energy, the, the, the history of the price of energy per unit is a curve that has been dropping dramatically and is asymptotically approaching zero. Yep. Okay. It will basically be zero cost, zero energy. And yeah. it's hard to wrap your mind around what that means from a product innovation perspective. So anyway, I think that is a, that is a pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty fascinating. That's just one of the ecotech things that is, that is, uh, that is interesting. There's a pretty outspoken guy who's really fun to follow on Twitter, who's a good friend of mine who runs one of the biggest kind of climate tech funds named Chris Saka. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chris Saka. Yeah, we've actually talked to Chris about being on the show, so hopefully soon. He used to live here. He doesn't live here anymore, <laughs> yeah. but he did used to. He we'll get him on virtually or something. Yeah, yeah. He'd, be, he'd be unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, but he's doing lower, lower carbon capital. Lower right? carbon capital. Yeah, he's from a lower fun, case to lower carbon. He's a super right. He's a super fun guy to follow on Twitter. Yeah, too. Yeah, he's he's quite outspoken yeah, and yeah, smart. Yeah. If you can get a hold of one of his LP letters, do, do that. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that is a that is a really uh, interesting area to me. I think broadly speaking, health tech has yep. got to be one of the great frontiers for the next couple decades. Um, it's been trying to get there <laughs> right. for the last couple decades. Yeah. I think the next couple decades regulation is break baby. Through. That's what kills it. Yeah. Education as well. I mean, yeah. it's, it's re really interesting things yeah. are happening. Yeah. yeah. As for Zillow, Rich, I mean, yeah. do you, you're clear, there's your second stint as CEO now. Is succession planning going to be a part of kind of this stint or? Always. Yeah. Always be succession planning out there. Always. It's a, it's nerve wracking succession planning. Yeah. Okay. Here's what the week manager does. When, when the week manager's boss says, who on your team would take your place? The week manager hears, oh my God, they're trying to get rid of me. Right. I better make myself indispensable. Right. And the answer is no one. I, I, I don't have that replacement person. But what the, what the good manager was asking you was, if I wanted to give you a bigger job, is there somebody on your team who you've groomed to take your place? That's what they're asking. That's opportunity. And so right. it's, it, there is tension in cultivating leaders underneath you, but it is the most important thing you can do if you want to grow your own leverage as a leader. Yeah. Like full stop. And so I always have done that. I always believe that uh, constantly cultivating a great bunch of people to take my job is the very best thing I can do.
as the, as the CEO. And if I'm doing my job as the leader correctly, I'm not doing much right. yeah. because the team is, is working. Mm -hmm. They're communicating. I got the right people in the seat and I am replaceable. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, Rich, this has been fantastic. Yep. I mean, we can't, you know, thank you enough for just joining us and just being so openly candid with your story and yeah. all the kind of wisdom you've accumulated over the years. And, uh, I think, yeah, I speak for both of us when I say we can't, you know, wait to see what comes next for you and Zillow and, um, appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks, Rich. Thank you.